you've stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. This is the first episode of the new year, and as such, I have a special show for y'all that's been a long time in the making, and I am stoked to have finally made it happen. In this, the Sleeping Giant Podcast, Volume 4, Episode 1, I've got my old friend, Mr. Jeff Glenn, on the show with me to talk about the 1977 Rankin-Bass animated adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Now, I know some of y'all have never seen this particular version of this particular hot chestnut, so I'll be expecting this to be, uh, hopefully, a treat for you. Gods only know how much I love this flick, so I am so, so happy to be sharing that love with y'all in this episode. But wait, there is more. Mandalorian shenanigans, tops trading cards, sweatshops, and your own home. COVID-19 breeds a trading card bubble. When will it collapse? Let's try and figure it out. In the meantime, y'all get comfy. We are about to begin. Alright, so one thing that I want to do for 2021 is to be a bit more positive. Now, I think when it comes to positivity... One of the things that we can do is to, number one, not shit all over everything because that's, man, that's just not helpful. Um, I think there's way too much of that going on. I don't think that even needs to be said that uh, not only is that a situation in fandom, but I mean, it's it's a situation in our daily lives, uh, whether it be, you know, within aspects of social media, the news, politics, entertainment, uh, work you know it's uh it's something that happens i think it's subtle uh, i don't think we mean to do it but i i do mean to make an effort to change that however i do want to make sure that we all understand at least from my point of view that not shitting on something uh is a good thing uh but but criticisms are definitely sometimes necessary especially in terms of uh uh, one's own work, certainly, but in terms of, of analyzing uh, the work of others, criticism goes a long way. Otherwise, uh, mediocrity thrives and there's no one to keep it in check. So let's just kind of keep that in mind going forward. I think um, I think that's what I'm going to try to do and I'd encourage you to do it also. Uh, and, and the only reason I bring this up is because there are some things that I'm probably going to bitch about. Uh, in fact, I can pretty much guarantee it, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do it a little differently. I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to try to not shit all over it. So, so how about that? Uh, there's not much going on for me, uh, this year, honestly, outside of Star Wars, um, WandaVision and, uh, my continuing foray into early issues of X-Men, which I have enjoyed quite a bit. Um, some of it's pretty wacky. Some of it's pretty out there. I I don't particularly care for the Shi'ar stuff, but I am also trying to keep in mind, or at least put myself in the position of someone who hadn't read it 
uh, or rather I should say someone uh, of the time, the late 70s and early 80s, you know, reading this stuff and considering what kind of impact it would have had on me. And, and you know, it's fun. Uh, it, it's, it's a little uh, schlocky in some regard, but it's still fun and it's still interesting. And, uh, and I've enjoyed uh, every bit of it. Um, obviously, coming off of some of the more popular story arcs like the, the Phoenix Saga, uh, Jean Grey and the Dark Phoenix uh, that was pretty cool, um, but of course it kind of dovetailed into uh, the the Shi'ar goings on and the Star Jammers with with Corsair and uh, being the um, Papa Summers, as it were, father to to Cyclops and Havoc or Scott and Alex Summers. That dynamic is interesting, especially in terms of of uh, of, of where they fit together in the world, especially with Professor X as uh, Scott's sort of. Um, mentor and and stand in father as as he he didn't have one for the majority of his life so so that that has been pretty cool and i will say this one is for you brian uh i am starting to understand a little bit more of scott's psychology and what has made him the person that he is and the leader that he is as far as uh people's general attitudes towards cyclops and and how people approach that character and, and the way that they feel about him. Now, I will say at this point uh, in my reading, Storm is the leader of the X-Men. And that is really cool because, of course, there are the social implications there. I mean, this was, again, the late 70s, early 80s. And you had uh, not only a woman, but a woman of color who is the leader of the team. And one of the things that Claremont does that's interesting to me and engaging to me is he spends time with Aurora's, um, her approach to leadership and how she questions herself and how she critiques herself and how she judges uh, what she's doing in terms of, of being a leader. And I think that's very important because kind of like I was saying earlier, there's a difference between uh, being critical and sort of creating a mess and not helping anything to thrive. And then there's being, um, there's criticizing something and trying to find the weaknesses in it so that you can build it up and make it better. And uh, it's really cool to see Storm do that. Um, Cyclops second-guessed himself a lot in in some of the earlier issues of the X-Men, uh, but I think Storm kind of takes that and turns it a little bit and and tries to to make it work as opposed to always kind of thinking that she made the wrong decision. But uh, that's been pretty fun. So speaking of Storm and the aforementioned wackiness, uh, we just came off of an arc where Dracula tried to seduce and marry Storm. Uh, so that that happened. And uh, if you haven't read any of those wacky sort of one-off story arcs in X-Men, I think they're definitely uh, they're worth a go. So kind of in the realm of Marvel, actually very much in the realm of Marvel, uh, the wife and I have been watching uh, WandaVision, which I've really been looking forward to. Uh, my friend Hollywood Steve from the Dead and Lovely Horror Movie Podcast, he recommended that I read Vision, and I was so enamored by it that I went on to write for it extensively for um, Fanatic Media, which... Uh, 
which you guys can can obviously check out for yourselves. You can find that stuff that I wrote at fanaticmedia.org, and um, I, I had a blast doing it. Um, it's not exactly in line with with where that comic was was focused because that was on vision specifically. Um, but you can tell that they're they're really kind of uh, using it as a uh, not necessarily a template, but there's a lot of influence coming from from Tom King's vision, and uh, and I've really been enjoying it. It it's it's so refreshing in that it is such a different take on how Marvel characters and how Marvel continuity has been portrayed and shown to us. Uh, not only is it television, but <laughs> it's sort of a play on classic television of, of the 50s and 60s and 70s, the sitcoms of that area. And the way that that is used to frame the narrative is is outstanding. Um, to be honest with you, I know that there's been some pushback and there's been some negativity, but just watching fandom tear itself apart over Star Wars... I've really been kind of uh, avoiding talk about WandaVision just because I don't want it something that I'm enjoying this much to be uh, tainted by that, as it were. But uh, I'm a huge fan of it, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how things unfold with WandaVision and and where and how, uh, as I've read, or at least as I've come to understand, how it is going to lead us into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Totally looking forward to the new phase of the MCU. I'm, I'm very curious and very excited. And I think that, uh, you know, one thing that you hear a lot over the past couple of years, that it's a great time to be a fan. I think that's absolutely true. This is uh, the golden age of both Star Wars and, and Marvel Entertainment. I, I mean... Clearly, they're they're both sort of under the same umbrella now, uh, and I'm I think that must be a very good thing based on on what we're seeing and and how much I'm really really loving it. Um, so yeah, uh, apart from <laughs> apart from that, I'm also curious to see how uh, Strange is gonna gonna feature in with our uh, with our favorite friendly neighborhood wall crawler because rumor is that he is going to be. Uh, Doctor Strange will be in the next Spider-Man movie as well. So, I mean, when you have the multiverse of madness and then Doctor Strange featuring in Spider-Man, and we know at this point that there are several actors uh, from previous Sam Raimi productions, uh, and then I think the the reboot of Spider-Man with uh, Andrew Garfield, um, that those cats are on the list of of folks that are going to be performing in this movie. So... I'm really uh, kind of thinking maybe we're going to finally get some some Spider-Verse action and I think that's going to be outstanding. I really can't wait. I can't. Uh it's it's 2021. Um I know that it really doesn't mean much in terms of leaving 2020 behind because it's really just uh another day. <laughs> you know, it's like when you turn 18, you're a legal adult. Uh, what happened, you know, uh between the night you fell asleep and and the next day you woke up, um, you know, what, what magical knowledge was, bes- was bestowed upon you uh, as you slumbered to turn you into this, uh, this uh, responsible adult that can now legally purchase uh, nicotine, pornography, firearms, and uh, you're granted the ability to join the military and, 
and go overseas and, uh, you know, do that whole shoot em up thing. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I don't, don't know where I was going with that, but, uh, but yeah, 2020 into 2021, uh, it's still the same old country. Um, you know, hopefully the new boss won't be as, as, uh, boorish, <laughs> let's say boorish as, as the old boss. Um, cause frankly, I'm just, I'm exhausted of, of speaking about, uh, speaking about that one cat. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I think 2021 though is going to be in terms of Star Wars and and Marvel Entertainment. Um, I think it's it's going to be great, and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. So uh, let me know what you all what y'all are looking forward to because you know I'm just not hearing back from you, and I feel like we got a lot to talk about and a lot to discuss. So uh, you know, go ahead and shoot me an email at. Uh, the sleeping giant podcast at gmail.com. You can do that, or you can get in touch with me on Instagram at the sleeping giant podcast, uh, or on the Twitter machine at TSG underscore pod. Uh, you know, send me, uh, send me your thoughts, send me your feelings. I want to know. I want to know. Okay. Now, I did say there would be a significant amount of bitching in this episode, and I'm, I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum, but I just, I really need to get this off of my chest. Tops, what the fuck is going on with how you treat the artists that help you build the value of your product, okay? So for y'all that don't know, uh, a lot of Tops trading card products are... They incorporate what are called sketch cards, and uh, the name is a bit misleading. I think it's a misnomer because uh, these blank cards that are inserted randomly in, into packs of trading cards contains the blood, sweat, and tear result of very, very hard work from artists uh, that create images for these cards that are, uh, you know, um, associated with whatever whatever IP uh, that trading card is, whether it be sports or uh, Star Wars or you have uh, other trading card companies. Also, Upper Deck comes to mind. They they have a lot of the Marvel stuff. Uh, so yeah, you get all these characters, scenes, vehicles, aliens, uh, all of that stuff. Um, you know, and, and some of this art is just, it, it's outstanding. And, uh, and the artists themselves are paid a pittance for the work. And they are granted the ability to keep a, a number of their returns based on uh, how many cards they do for whichever company they're working for. And those returns, generally, uh, a lot of people refer to them as artist proofs. So in the traditional sense, that would be an example of the artist's best work, which a lot of times that is the case with uh, with the APs. Um, that they receive or that they create and then receive back from tops. Uh, you know, artist return also is another term used um, as then the, you know, they're returned back to the artist to sell. So there is a way for them to make some kind of money off of the work that they're doing. However, the problem is that the number of artists has grown tremendously in the past couple of years, which again, I'm getting to see some, some art and some work that I had never seen before, which is just out of this world, amazing and fantastic. The downside though, is that there's a tremendous amount of sketch card product available 
And, uh, and as you know, when, when there's no longer a scarcity, the value also drops in. So the artists aren't able to get as much necessarily as they would have uh, in yesteryear for these cars they're trying to sell. So uh, that's only a small pit, a bit of history, and that's not, you know, that's not the whole story, as it were, but I think that's the gist. And, and here we are in a situation where uh, there's been unmatched popularity, uh, or at least, uh, you know, it, it's close as far as how popular the Mandalorian was, and, and they're, asking for, um, they're asking for a lot more work from the artists and uh, and and not giving them nearly the time they need to complete it, and uh, I, I find it I find it upsetting and disturbing that it, it's it's a microcosmic example I think of how we're treated in general, where uh, the culture is nobody says anything, nobody really pushes back because that's just the way it is, and and we accept it and move on. Uh, and you know, if you, as an artist, you know, push back, you, you're afraid that you're going to lose your position. You won't be invited to do other sets. Um, and, and you, you know, you won't get the joy of doing it, I suppose. Uh, you know, and then of course you won't get the exposure bucks that, that some of these companies want to pay you as well. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You can't eat exposure. Um, but anyway, so, I mean, it's good and it's bad, and there are things about it that I appreciate and enjoy, but, you know, knowing a lot of these artists personally, uh, some of which I've known uh, for a number of years now and, and become quite close to, uh, some of them I might even be married to, uh, it's, you know, it's it's frustrating and, and, and upsetting, so... I just had to kind of get that off my chest, and and hopefully you all can kind of see <laughs> the the inner workings of of that whole thing to a degree, uh, where that art comes from, who creates it, and and exactly what the artists are getting in return for the very hard work that they put into these things that tops banks on, uh, you know, that tops counts on being a selling point of uh, what sometimes is a very high-end product and uh and, and that's the reality of it so um there you go here here's another question i'm going to throw this one at you again tops i'm sorry it seems like i'm picking on you uh but what the fuck is how you have shrunk the availability of your newest most popular ips uh or um or at least with your distributors so uh, i'm curious is there less product being made uh, it is the the product that's actually printed has that number shrunk, or are the distributors holding on to product and sort of creating an artificial bubble uh, for the collecting community and the market in general? I, I need to know because I'm finally in a position where I'm able to buy large quantities of cards at one time, uh, you know, by the case, build my collection, and then sell what I'm not keeping to try to recoup the cost. I mean, it's something that we all do, uh, or at least a lot of us have done for a long, 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 long time now. And the the allocation that we're dealing with now from, uh, from our local comic stores, uh, from members of the collecting community that, uh, that have been helping collectors get their hands on this stuff is, you know, it's, it's, it's evaporating. Um, and it's very frustrating because these are products uh, that we've all really been looking forward to, specifically the Mandalorian season two, um, where it's just not there for us. And what you're seeing is, 
um, price gouging. You're seeing the prices of, of these hobby boxes uh, skyrocket, and it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating uh, for me, and I know that it's frustrating for others uh, because I've seen it, <laughs> and, and we've had conversations about it. Um, but I guess what I'm interested to see is if it is, in fact, the distributors that are holding on to this product um, and giving vendors a very small allocation so that the price uh, increases and then the distributors are, are then able to sell what they've got uh, back to the vendors for a higher price. Um, I don't know. It remains to be seen. I, you know, If there's anybody out there that's got the inside info on that and wants to spill the tea, by all means, get in touch because I would love to know. Uh, one of the other things about it that we've been discussing and, and we meaning uh the collecting community in general is uh the notion that during lockdown a lot of stuff has changed obviously a lot of people uh the ways in which they've made money has have have they've changed drastically um you know online shopping has certainly become more of the norm than it had already become and uh the idea or the notion is that uh, the bane of any collecting community is the flipper uh, and that the flipper is that asshole scalper, basically, uh, that we all know and love and remember with uh, with extreme hatred, no doubt, from the Ticketmaster days uh, when you wanted to go see a concert, but couldn't because... Uh, you know, some some individual or group had purchased a, a, a large uh, or majority of, of available tickets and then sold them back to the general public for for a skyrocketed price. Um, yeah, so not much has changed in that regard. Uh, we start seeing that creep into um, into action figures uh, a good bit, um, Funko Pops, things like that. Bots just waiting. Uh, you know, s scouring uh, these sales pages for for uh, pre-orders and pre-sales and what have you. I mean, normally uh, that's that's one of those things that's irritating and you just kind of kind of deal with. But it's gotten even worse. Uh, so the speculation is that these folks who you know kind of turned onto the action figure market from uh, you know flipping Adidas and Nikes and things like that, uh, they're like, oh well, there's money to be made here. Uh, and, and non-sports cards, and we're we're seeing that uh, we're seeing that happen too. So it could be a combination of of distributors holding on to product to uh, to jack up the value. Um, it could be a combination of that and these flippers noticing that they're you know they're not able to make the money that they were making elsewhere. So they've turned on to non-sport trading cards like Star Wars. WWE, um, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, things like that. And I've, I've noticed that uh, just in speaking with other people, that it's not just Star Wars collectors. It, it is collectors and, and players of uh, Magic the Gathering and Pokemon, things like that, that are uh, unable to get their hands on product. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating because I get it. We all want to make a buck. Uh, we all want to make a little money on the side. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there, there are folks who genuinely enjoy the hobby, uh, genuinely, genuinely enjoy playing and it's fucking them. It's fucking me. It's fucking them. And it's just, it's not cool. You know, I mean, and I, I get it. I know, uh, 
fair market this, that, and the other. Fuck that noise. Uh, I think we see how that's working out on Wall Street right now. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't subscribe to that. You know, supply and demand. I get it. Um, but when you when you take that from someone, it's just, uh, ah, man, it's it's upsetting. So, I I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, I I hope that I'm not driven out of this hobby by that. I I think that things are changing, so I will have to change with that. Um, and it could be that you aren't going to be able to rely on buying these things in the store or in your comic shop anymore. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to jump on those pre-orders. You're going to have to jump on the pre-sales just as soon as they begin so that, you know, when, when one of these, um, one of these products drop, you're not left, uh, you know, out in the cold, so to speak, or hat in hand trying to get somebody to cut you a good deal. Um, or worst of all, you have to end up paying four or five times retail price for, uh, for just a small portion of something to, uh, to work towards your collection. And it's just not fun. Um, but if that's what I got to do, Hey, that's what I got to do. Um, you know, the other option of course, is to put on the big boy bridges as it were, and, uh, just go ahead and get that LLC started up and, and, uh, you know, I will purchase what I can from the distributors and, you know, I wasn't intending to start a business right now, but Hey, it, it was something I wanted to do down the road. And if it can build my collection, help out my community, uh, of collectors and friends and maybe bring in a couple of hundred bucks, um, at the end of every month to help with the bills. Hey, okay, I'll do it. You know, um, I'm not looking to get rich. I'm not looking to, uh, start a, uh, start a card shop right now. I'm just trying to, just trying to continue a hobby that I enjoy. Um, and if that's what I've got to do to continue with that, then, then so be it. Um, it, it could, it could work out really well and, uh, it could turn into something much cooler. So yeah, there's that, right? <laughs> Moving on. Ah, yes, it is time to get into the sweet meat of the program. Now that I'm done bitching, um, we are going to talk one of the greatest film productions of our lifetime, and I am so pleased to once more have Jeff Glenn on the show to help me out with it. Our mutual love for the 1977 animated Hobbit, it runs deeper than the purest veins of Mithril and truer than any arrow what has slain wyvern worm or dragon let's just jump right into the greatest adventure shall we jeff are you there sir yes i am how you doing oh man quite well quite well we definitely have some catching up to do i was looking at um i was looking at the log before i had texted you about messenger and i saw that the call the last call was from march 20th yeah, a lot of things have changed since then. <laughs> yes, they have. And you, well, before we before we got on, uh, before we started the recording, you were telling me about uh, your your upcoming adventures in D and D, and I I want to kind of touch touch on that again. So, um, do you do you have a a time frame or a date that you're going to be starting that? No, I don't actually. Um, so this this actually ended up coming about from a 
you know, a drunken conversation with my neighbors as all good things mm-hmm. do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was funny cause like we, this is like on new year's when we came up with the idea and then we actually were hanging out just like last week, I think it was. And ever somebody was like, Hey, are we going to do that D and D thing? Like we need to follow up on that. So we're, we're still trying to like take it from drunken idea to, uh, to a reality. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, but I'm, I'm super excited about it. It's like, it's basically going to be myself and like several other people who have never played before. So a bunch right. of newbies, which I, I think I'm, I'm super excited about that. Cause like for me, it was always, um, a little intimidating, like coming into a, maybe an existing group or people who are like super experienced or, you know, just like have like history with it. Yeah, absolutely. Know what they're doing. Yeah. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. I feel that way about a lot of things um we were we were talking about playing guitar earlier I, i've never gotten over that uh that feeling of uh not being able to do something um even though i might be capable of it just because some people are so much better <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that, uh, that can definitely like put a damper on things when you're like w- w- something that should be fun too it's like why is it mm-hmm. you know it's like all in your own head like this shouldn't be anything i have to worry about being intimidated by but it is. Yeah. And, and for the most part, um, it seems like we always forget that, uh, like you said, that, that it's fun and we turn it into a job almost. Right. Um, so unless you are doing it for a paycheck and you're relying on the quality of your work or your uh, the knowledge of, of rules and, uh, and stats, fuck it. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. it's all about fun. Exactly. And, you know, once you get drunk enough <laughs> when you're playing D and D, it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, because you know, depending on your group, I know sometimes it just—I could either say devolved or evolved into just full-on <laughs> role-playing, where the story was moving forward, and I would just have to remember kind of what happened mm-hmm. um, as you know, as the dungeon master. So. You know, I kind of had to like write really sloppy notes as I was going, so we could pick it up the next time. But to me, that was some of the most fun uh, experiences. Was just the twists and the the uh, the ad libbing, and just kind of knowing where I wanted to take things, but mm-hmm. ultimately letting the players decide what happened. I mean, sometimes you got to grab them by the fucking nose and be like, <laughs> "All right, look." <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't remember if I told you about this or not. Like, what actually. Because I've, you know, it's been a thing that I've been interested in for a long time, but never really, you know, wanted or not wanted, but like just never really uh, took the time to to look into it further. Mm-hmm. But there was a a podcast that I listened to over the past year um, called The Adventure Zone. Did I talk to you about that one? You mentioned it briefly, I think, but I I don't really remember. Yeah, it was, it's it's really cool. It's like it um it's they've actually gone through like several different games and campaigns, like even like different um, rule sets, like different. Mm-hmm. Not just not just D and D, but other like uh, RPGs and role playing games. But like the uh, the premise is basically like it, it started out as three brothers and their dad playing D and D, and like I think three, oh. like two of the brothers had uh, two of the, the brothers two of the brothers and the dad had never played before. So like the one brother that had played was the DM, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was like actually really fun to listen to because uh, like they didn't they they were like learning as they went, and also the story ended up being really really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I remember you telling me about that now. I, I Damn, I, I'm definitely going to remember this time. And I'm going to go back and check it <laughs> yeah, out because that hi- sounds awesome. highly recommend checking it out. It was, it was a very entertaining uh, listen for sure. Hell yeah. I'm all about that. 
so <laughs> it's kind of funny. We just conversations tend to like gradually like revolve around or, or, or sort of gravitationally pulled to Dungeons and Dragons music or, uh, or, or Tolkien lore, which I'm totally fine with. I mean, that's how we started the conversation. <laughs> right. And, uh, and it's heading that way pretty quick, I imagine, because we <laughs> decided a while ago that at some point we wanted to talk about The Hobbit, um, which I'm, I'm very excited to do. And uh, I watched it, I think, last night with my wife and daughter. And I think that Izzy had seen it before, but she was too young and yeah. wasn't really paying attention to the movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she enjoyed aspects of it last night for sure, but at the end... I, uh, I said, so what did you think? You know? <laughs> and she was like, eh. I was like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> you're you're, you're allowed to have any opinion you want to, but that one is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, I'm trying to like, uh, how old is she now? She is seven. Okay. Yeah. I think the first time I ever saw it was, I think it was in like third grade. Mm-hmm. But I remember being really into it at the time. The Hobbit's a very child-friendly story. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think Tolkien probably had his kids in mind um, when he was writing The Hobbit. You know, obviously he had something much larger, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily planned, but, you know, was kicking it around. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely kid kid friendly. Um, I guess it would be considered. Well, actually, that's not true. I was going to say it could be considered young adult now, but I think the defining aspect of young adult is that it has to have someone of uh i think the main character has to be uh, a teenager essentially right um so that kind of nixes that (laughs) 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 um anyway so um so yeah i was about the same age actually uh well no i was probably pre-kindergarten i imagine i have Mm. to i gotta walk that back a little bit because most of my introduction to all of the things that we uh that we have a mutual love for was was pre-kindergarten um mostly just from being in the same vicinity as my dad when he was <laughs> watching this stuff you know? I, I was actually gonna say i think like that that came from your dad right yeah yeah for the most part but the the tolkien stuff well actually i gotta walk that one back even i was gonna say the tolkien stuff kind of came from my mom a little bit more but uh my dad uh, was was clearly very into it because I'm I'm actually looking right now at his copy of uh, I think it's a Houghton Mifflin um, edition of mm-hmm. of The Hobbit and uh, yeah he gave that to me a while ago but you remember we were at that party and uh, that bag of mine got stolen and yeah. his his copy of his his college copy of The Lord of the Rings was. Uh, in that bag yeah and uh so yeah i guess it came from both of them pretty well but yeah anyway solid introduction to uh to that and and the hobbit was broadcast in november of 77 i think Mm -hmm. um as a children's feature so i mean that that kind of brings us full circle to that aspect of things so i want to ask before we really get into this because i i I don't necessarily want to do a deep dive into the hobbit because it's the fucking Hobbit, right, um, right. and and there's really not much to. Uh, I don't want to say to the story because there is, and and we're not discussing the book at this time. 
Um, but the film, there's not much to it. It's only 70, uh, 76 minutes long, mm-hmm. something in that neighborhood. It's not a long movie. And uh, it's very streamlined and moves from point A to point Z very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you saw it when you were in the third grade, uh, I mean, obviously you developed a love for it. But what what was it that drew you into it? And was it The Hobbit that sort of kick-started your your love of Tolkien and Middle Earth? I mean, definitely that was uh, you know what, what started my love of Tolkien because I didn't really know uh, anything uh, of his stuff before The Hobbit, but I was already kind of into you know fantasy and uh, you know I, like even before that I was like super into um, King Arthur and like you know the Knights of the Round Table, all the all those tales. Yeah. And, and then there was the um, the book series by Lloyd Alexander. Um, so there was the, the Book of Three, the Black Cauldron, all those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, was, I, I actually like already gotten really into those. And it was the, this is actually all the same, all around the same time, I guess. It was the same, um, my third grade teacher who kind of turned me on to a lot of this stuff. Cause like she read mm-hmm. a lot of those books to us in class, uh, the Hobbit being one of them. And so that one, that one kind of came later, you know, beyond some of those others, but I was already like into, you know, that sort of, uh, the, the genre at that time. And then, you know, uh, having the book read to us and then like seeing the film just really like cemented it. Um, definitely like the, I don't know, it's like the world of middle earth just seems so mm-hmm. much more like so much, so interesting. And uh, I don't know. It's like as a kid, like you're up, you know, all the like fairy tales and stuff about trolls and goblins and stuff like that. But to like see that kind of come to life in uh, in that yeah. film is really cool. Yeah, and it had a very unique look as well. Yeah, a lot of the designs, like the the character designs, were really like they're very interesting. You know, it's it's not what I would first imagine with some of the things like like the goblins or uh, or smog even, um, but it's I, I think it works and it's like it makes for a very mm-hmm. interesting adaptation of the whole thing. Yeah, it's very much its own movie. Um, I, I wasn't alive at the time, obviously, but. I have come to understand that it got a lot of shit um, when it was first aired because mm-hmm. it was so different from the book. And uh, and a lot of the character descriptions from Tolkien's writing were like basically <laughs> ignored flat <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, is funny because it makes me wonder, because I, because I love this movie so much and... I love Tolkien so much. It it still doesn't bother me. I I think that I I really treat this movie as its own thing. Yeah, for sure. That's that's actually what I was just thinking. Like one that sticks out to me is the design of Gollum, especially. It's mm-hmm. like that's so very different from you know the, from the books and like from later portrayals and things like that. But it just I I don't mind it. You know, it just it, it works because it is what it is. Like it, it's its own thing. Yeah, and. The, the size disparity also was really strange mm-hmm. because if you, I guess if you were to put them right next to each other, judging by how you see them on the screen, Gollum is like twice the size of Bilbo. Yeah. If not even more so. And that, it makes for a much more horrifying kind <laughs> of situation uh, because I was never, I was never frightened of Gollum uh, in reading The Hobbit. And right. 
in seeing this and you know with the the voice actor um or the voice of brother theodore mm-hmm. he's fucking scary yeah no it was that was really good i mean yeah to your point like i i never thought of like in the books or in the book i guess all yeah all the books i never thought of uh Gollum or Smeagol as being like particularly scary you know like cunning and right and somebody you have to watch out for but more like a like spindly almost like pathetic kind of creature whereas yeah in this he's definitely more just like a menacing yeah thing. he's very monstrous almost. yeah um and and one quick thing about Gollum, which <laughs> i think a lot of people tend to look over especially if your introduction to the Lord of the Rings was from Peter Jackson's films, mm-hmm. which are fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, by the way, I still, uh, some of my most fond memories are of, uh, every time they would come out, we would go see them at Beechwood together yep. at, for the employee screenings. Yeah. Oh man. That's like some of the, yeah, definitely some of the best movie going experiences of my life. Yeah, God, we we wanted those films so badly, yeah. and we got them, and they did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could think of some other things I was really looking forward to that <laughs> super <laughs> let me down. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, at, at the time, those too, like didn't... like working at the movie theater when I would, I, I, when those films were, were like we were screening those, like during you know normal hours, and I was actually mm-hmm. having to work. I remember always being a little bummed when I'd like walk by and I'd hear the music going in one of the theaters and it's like, oh, I just want to go in there and watch it. Why do I have to be doing this bullshit job? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they were so good. I don't know how many times I actually saw those. Yeah. Um, when they, during the theatrical release, it was between the three films. It was probably dozens of times. Um, I mean, granted, I'm, there were also hours that I slept when I was in there just because <laughs> I saw them so many times right, and right. You know, working at theaters. They fuck it. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, just so just fantastic movies. But the thing that people tend to ignore or or they're not aware of is that uh, Gollum was extremely menacing in the way that uh, Tolkien described his existence mm-hmm. in the Fellowship of the Ring and how uh, he was um, elusive. And how people were talking about a, a creature that was creeping and babies would disappear yeah. from their cradles. <laughs> yeah, that whole, that whole thing was like very, very dark. Yeah, yeah. So fucking Gollum ate babies. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that definitely does like, <laughs> that does get glossed over. It's I, I'm glad that you brought that up or like rumored that because it's one of those things like anytime I, because I go back and reread the books, I I. I used to do it like yearly for a while but mm-hmm. then like you know it's further and further between readings but like whenever i go back and read it that's like one of the things that i'm always like oh yeah that's crazy <laughs> yeah Gollum is a fucking like he's, uh, he's a villain he's savage yeah yeah um which you know to to peter jackson's credit um showcasing the duality of smeagol mm-hmm. Gollum. And the way that he chose to do that was uh, pretty brilliant, I think. And I think it was very much in line um, and was the in line with and was the essence of uh, what Tolkien was was portraying with that character. 
Um, but yeah, so Smeagol is cute, but that grinning mouth has consumed infant children. So just <laughs> yeah. keep that in mind yep. at all times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, the the film The Hobbit is uh, is is different in many ways. I shouldn't say the film. I should say the the animated uh, feature. Um, mm-hmm. Different in very many ways from the book, but it captures the essence of the book and the main events. Uh, pretty sequentially and pretty accurately. I mean, there are are a few things that are different, but you can see that, that it was done for, uh, for brevity Mm -hmm. and, and for the sake of moving the story forward. So there's no, there is no Arkenstone subplot. Right. Or what was the, um, the bear? Bayorn. Bayorn. Yeah. Yeah. No, no things like that. I mean, but they keep it moving at a, a pretty, fast clip uh but like they i don't feel like they left anything out that was that like changes it you know drastically Mm -hmm. or like for the worse you know you know when you think about it it, it's kind of like i mean those things obviously they add depth and richness to the story but it's kind of like tom bombadil not being in the uh the lord of the rings films from peter jackson or even the ralph bakshi film yeah um because tom bombadil and goldberry (laughs) I love this too, um, but dude, like he's just all about him. Some Goldberry, yeah, well, and, and that, that kind of thing too. It's like you look at it like these are adaptations. You know, it's a different medium, and yeah. Like, and I, I love the books so much, and I love like every, pretty much everything in the books. But like, I don't, yeah, I didn't feel like I was missing out on like there not being yeah. a Tom Bombadil scene because realistically, I'm like, what would that have looked like, and how? Like, I just feel like it could have made it it could have made the whole thing feel a little bit cheesier than it needed to honestly yeah. so and it doesn't add much to the overall narrative right even though tom bombadil is such a cool character um which i'm still uh yeah well that we'll table that for another time <laughs> yeah. just I mean, the it, what tom bombadil is and, yeah. and what he's all about yeah i mean it's it's cool in that it like he definitely it adds depth to the world you know it's like there's this whole other it just adds this whole other side to it, but like, yeah, it didn't feel like it was, um, this, the overall story was hurt by taking that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so no regrets, as yep. they say. <laughs> uh, now I, I will say that the way that they chose to, uh, make this a musical, um, and keeping that kid friendly tone mm-hmm. was, was aces. Oh my God. Um, like the, the music in this is just that is like one of my favorite things about this like yeah the, the the songs like all the songs are so good um yeah it's like it's got this it's funny because I, I was uh when i was watching it last night again i was like yeah this is it feels nostalgic but it's also just like it holds up really well like the music mm-hmm. has this um it's like a folk music feel to it and everything. It like it definitely feels like a product of its time. Like it could mm-hmm. only have existed or only have been made when it was made. Um, but it almost feels like a sixties type thing more than like seventy seven. Yeah, I I definitely get that vibe because when I'm like, oh yeah, this was just a few months after Star Wars came out. Um I and I, I just have to reference Star Wars at some point. <laughs> of obviously. course, I, I alluded to it earlier, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all know, you know just, just who, who's on this call right now. It. So yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, so it, it definitely had that 
feel. And I'm wondering if, because there was this, this really big uh, Tolkien revival um, in, in the late 60s and, and the 70s, and I'm wondering if maybe that was an appeal to that crowd um, to yeah. try to draw them in. I, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I think there's something to that. Um, yeah, I, the the revival of it in the '60s is actually really fascinating to me. Like, I just I, I, I love that idea that like a lot of people kind of glommed onto it um, mm-hmm. in the in that you know subculture or whatever. My uh, the copies you can say hippies. Jeff, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was I was, I was, I was dancing around <laughs> it. <laughs> Filthy hippies, but you know, like, long hairs. <laughs> no, it's funny though because like my. Um, the, the copies of, or I, mean, I have like multiple copies of Lord of the Rings, but uh, one of my, my favorite copies is like the, this like three book set of my dad's. And it is like the kind of like gold foil paperback version. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like from, I think it's from that time. It's like from the sixties, like late sixties is when that was printed. And it's like, has like kind of a, the cover like has kind of a groovy feel to it. Yeah, man, I would love to see that if you're ever able to to snag a picture or if you can send me a link to a similar copy, that would yeah, be really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I think that's just a guess. I don't know uh, who they were trying to appeal to apart from, um, you know, this being made specifically uh, to be broadcast for kids or as a, a children's show. As you know, though, I mean, so many things that are made for children uh, have subtext or or, you know, uh, little winks and nods to to entertain the adults or maybe fans, right. older fans. Yeah, I mean, because ultimately of, uh, they're they're made by adults, so they're gonna they're gonna throw some things in there for sure. Exactly. And speaking of that, um, there's a lot about this movie that I didn't know uh, as far as the production aspects were concerned that uh, were just really cool to learn. Um, I learned that uh, I think it was Top Craft was the animation studio that they used. Mm-hmm. Uh, to animate the film, um, you know, based on all the character designs and what have you, by blah, 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 blah. Um, but Topcraft evidently, uh, after about ten years or so, or, or after this point, I should say, ended up going bankrupt, and uh, Miyazaki ended up purchasing the studio, and really? basically, it turned into Studio Ghibli. Oh wow, that is isn't that nuts? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah, it's a really cool sort of uh, sort of inner inner relation to you know several things that um, you know I, I know and and that I'm a fan of and enjoy. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting further is uh, that Topcraft, I think they rebranded uh, with what was left of the company. They became um, Pacific Animation Company, mm-hmm. and they went on to work. Uh, further with Rankin Bass, but they, um, I mean, obviously, like if you looked at The Last Unicorn, there are a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Brother Theodore does a voice, so right, I think right. he's Rook in that. Um, but they also did uh, Thundercats and Silverhawks. Oh. Um, so then <laughs> you're like, okay, well, that's really cool because I enjoyed those when I was a kid, and those did not age well. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, gosh, what is his name? Uh, Larry Kenny who was the voice actor for Lionel was also um, Sonny and Count Chocula uh, from the <laughs> serials, right? Yeah. And then bringing it back to The Hobbit, um, oh gosh, what is that fellow's name? Uh, Thrall Ravenscroft, which is just one of the coolest fucking names there ever was. Yeah. Uh, he did several voices of the goblins, 
in The Hobbit. And uh, he was also the voice of Tony the Tiger. So it's like, <laughs> I don't no know. way. That's I, I love finding out about stuff like that because it's like when you when you know it and then you go back and listen to it or like hear it with that knowledge, it's like, oh, I can kind of see it or I, I can kind of hear yeah. it. Yeah, so The Brave Little Toaster was a movie that I loved and loved and loved growing up. I still love it. And uh, there was Kirby the Vacuum. I don't. Did you ever see that film? I never saw that one. Um, I think I might have been when that came out. I might have been like past the the target age for it or something. Well, I think you would still enjoy it um, yeah. because I, I watched it again recently with my wife and. Uh, holy shit that movie <laughs> is dark really i yes it is so dark i mean like soul crushingly dark oh wow what <laughs> what year did that come out oh gosh you know what i'm not sure i just off the top of my head i would assume like the middle to late 80s yeah i feel um, like a lot of things that came out in the 80s especially that that was targeted towards kids like definitely had some dark undertones or just like darkness to it that you you don't quite see i think in like things these days yeah and some of it is is in the brave little toaster for example some of it is just blatantly dark for no reason other than to be dark <laughs> and i i found there were some things in there that i found really upsetting oh, um wow. Wow. yeah so <laughs> just like if <laughs> teaching kids a harsh lesson about life i guess like toughen up kids yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, but you're right about that, uh, about the 80s especially. Um, when I was uh, doing, I guess, what you would call research for The Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. um, which basically just means like looking at books and uh, watching the movie and reminiscing about my yeah. fandom of Jim Henson and Brian and Wendy Froud. Um Jim Henson actually said about the Dark Crystal that uh, yes, it was dark. It was purposefully dark because he believed that children needed to be frightened. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. right on. <laughs> there did, you go. Did I tell you not to get too far off the the subject of the Hobbit? But speaking of Jim Henson, did I tell you about the um, the museum up here in in New York, Museum of the Moving no. Image? There's a um, so the, in Astoria, New York, which is where, <clears throat> excuse me, which is where. Um, Sesame Street, like where Kaufman Studios uh, Mm -hmm. is, there's a museum there, the Museum of the Moving Image. And so it's all about, you know, film and television. uh, And they've got a lot of cool, like, props and things like that from movies and and TV shows. But there's this whole Jim Henson exhibit. And and it has a lot of the, uh, you know, original Muppet, uh, the original Muppets and, like, designs and his sketchbooks. And then also, like, lots of things from... Um, from the movies and stuff too so like things from labyrinth mm-hmm. and all that and so it's like it was just really cool like if, if you're ever up this way i highly recommend it because you can like see all these things in person and wow. and they're still kind of creepy uh, <laughs> even if you're looking at them like you know up close like that i wonder if parts of that exhibit were borrowed uh for a museum in georgia because i know uh, my wife told me that she had gone to uh, a limited uh exhibit that was it was a, a Jim Henson. It was I think it was the Theater of, of Puppetry Arts. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I think oh, maybe I they re- had borrowed some of yeah, that. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. I think I might have been in Atlanta at the time when that was when that. Because I remember like, yeah, I remember hearing about that. But that's they could have 
taken some of that from there yeah either way i didn't get to see it yeah so i would like to remedy that <laughs> yeah because that would yeah, be for sure amazing but yeah so that was that was kind of like a, a fun little uh sort of tangential exploration of of some of the connectedness of of some of the other things that we grew up with and some of the other things that we loved um when we were kids yeah. all connected to the hobbit which is really cool you know one thing i i was thinking when i was watching it last night and it's, it's been a minute since i've watched this um Mm-hmm. But when I would watch it, you know, years ago, like when I was obviously when I was a kid and like years uh, from that, like I would always watch it on an old VHS copy, which, mm-hmm. you know, had like kind of a washed out look to it. I didn't realize until fairly recently that like a lot of the like um, uh, the animation, the animation and like the the design of this, like it's a lot more colorful than I actually remembered it being. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on, especially in those watercolor backgrounds. Yeah. Like the watercolor backgrounds look really like, especially pretty, especially when they get to, to Mirkwood mm-hmm. and that whole uh, section of it. Like just like, it's, it's really cool. Like it's a lot more vibrant than I remembered. Where it being. Gandalf has his business in the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's another thing that's not in, um, not in the animation, yeah, yeah. Um, the talk of the necromancer, right? Which uh, again could very easily be a discussion for later, but um, but you're right. And you know what? When I I watched this last night, that was one of the things I noticed as well. And uh, I I really got a kind of um, Alan Lee impression from some of the backgrounds that they used in in the hobbit um i don't know or recall honestly what his uh like what his time frame was as far as mm-hmm. um his uh his art and a lot of the stuff that he did for for middle earth but i found a similarity not not that they're necessarily related they're just there's this like aesthetic that i always associate with middle earth and mm-hmm. I know we talked about The Hobbit being its own thing, but um, there are aspects of that film that kind of bleed over into this sort of... It's like this just this aesthetic that I always mentally associate yeah. uh, with Middle-earth, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure, it does. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing, too, with it. It's, it's like the... Um, I guess, like, the mental image I have of some of these the settings, like, they nail it pretty well in this this version and i actually wonder if any of that went on to influence later adaptations or like like peter jackson even just like at least like taking some of that into into consideration i kind of think i kind of think so yeah um i do like i i don't think it's any secret that he borrowed pretty extensively uh for all of the things that like ticked his boxes so to speak right um but you know what And, and this is a trope that's used pretty frequently so i doubt that that's the case but the idea of incorporating the book um the hobbit uh a hobbit's holiday or there back again a hobbit's holiday um you know the the trope of course is like you know before the story begins there's the book right um, but in this particular instance it is bilbo's book and and they do talk about it uh which you know he may have just decided to to run with that and you know despite the fact that it's kind of cliche or um you know, he decided to embrace that. I don't know. Yeah. I can't say. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things about The Hobbit, and again, I'm, I'm tempted with this one to kind of, you know, go through a synopsis, um, which which I've done. I think we did that with Empire. Yeah. Um, and I do that with a lot of movies, but I'm really trying to move away from that um, because I found that uh, 
open discussions are a little bit more entertaining for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there are uh, other podcasts that I listen to that I tend to enjoy a whole lot more when uh, the discussion is a little bit more open and not as like guided by uh, a synopsis of right. or a walkthrough of the film, you know? Yeah. So I do want to go back though, because I had originally kind of intended to do that. Um, but at this point I want to talk about the voice actors a little bit more um, because we have Orson Bean as, uh, as Bilbo and that's amazing. There are so many aspects of his voice work that are just burned into my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, him and like basically everybody else in this, like a lot of the, like him and um, who voiced Gandalf? John Houston. Yeah. Like his, Gandalf, like his characterization in this, like it's just like, it's so good. It is. It's perfect. Yeah. Even. I didn't think that they would, be able to do any better than that honestly um but fucking ian mckellen just knocked it out of the park <laughs> oh yeah for sure but but you're right um and that's why you really kind of have to start creating this crowbar division um between those films and and this this animated feature being its own thing uh it's it's so funny because his gandalf's his smugness and it, it's not really that he's smug maybe his condescending nature mm-hmm um, really comes out in in the Hobbit. Like he's kind of a curmudgeon yeah. in the films, yeah. but in this, he's way more condescending. Like, even I mean, like my daughter picked it up immediately um, when <laughs> when the trolls turn to stone and Gandalf says, "Excellent," she <laughs> she just looked at me and said, "Good job, me." <laughs> <laughs> oh Is that the same scene? Um... Where he's freeing them from the like they they've all been tied up and he's like one moment one moment yes. I actually yes. I, I find myself say like I, more than once I say that like when I'm feeding my pets like and they're like like the dog is like ready for his his food and he's like getting impatient I'll uh, I'll actually say that to him so like I know man th- things, so things like that have like have definitely been burned into my brain yeah and and I and I'm, I'm barely even conscious of it uh at this point like yeah i i just i can't i can't speak highly enough of uh of the voice work in this particular feature now um gosh what is that fellow's name i, I really should probably stop saying that because i should know it hans conrad that's it he's another one of those cats that uh for the longest time i could not place his voice as thorin oakenshield mm-hmm. Um, but he was the voice of Captain Hook in Disney's Peter Pan. Really? And uh, yeah, he was the voice of the the mirror in Disney's Halloween Treat. Okay. Uh, I loved Disney's Halloween Treat when I was a kid. Um, we never got the Disney Channel. We always had to wait for like the free preview or um, if we would drive uh, to Athens from Savannah uh, to my grandma's house, she had the Disney Channel, and it was usually around the fall, so... I was like on pins and needles hoping that <laughs> it, we timed it so I could watch Disney's Halloween treat. Yeah. yeah, Very cool stuff. Yeah, that's cool. I, I never actually saw that. Oh, man, you should. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Um, some of the, the visual effects that Disney was able to, to achieve at the time that they achieved it for even television productions is fucking astounding. Mm-hmm. And uh, I fully, fully recommend it. But uh, but yeah, some of those things like Bilbo. (laughs) If I ever find myself in a a wide space like the St. Petersburg uh, Opera House, yeah, (laughs) I go there every month to take care of it, and uh, 
I, when I go to, um, you know, when I go to the, the stage, uh, that room is always completely empty and all the lights are off. <laughs> so, like, oh, that's amazing. I mean, you know, you just, you gotta have fun with this oh, kind yeah, of stuff. Definitely. Um, the, the film, uh, we talked about it in, in the beginning. It, it really does move, um, through the story beats very quickly. I mean, like with no hesitation, mm-hmm. um, you know, so like right from the beginning, Gandalf just appears to Bilbo and then the next thing you know they're having uh they're having dinner and chipping glasses and cracking plates. I mean it just moves from one point to the next. Um Bilbo is just kind of like, "Well, I guess I'm doing this." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um which uh which sees them moving uh moving from the Shire t- towards uh the Lonely Mountain pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh now we <laughs> we had talked about some of the things that that stick out to us most of what sticks out to me would just be Bilbo's overall attitude as he's traveling with the dwarves. Um, like Gandalf tells him that, you know, whatever he's feeling troubled to think of the things that make him happy. Eggs and bacon. <laughs> Full pipe. My garden, My garden at, twilight. at twilight. Cakes. <laughs> so, I immediately, as an adult, identify <laughs> with Bilbo very, very well. Yeah, and it was amusing as a child, but now I'm just like, yes, yes, Bilbo gets it. <laughs> I, I do you think know? of simple, pleasant things when I'm stressed. <laughs> yeah, um, sometimes a little bit too much, even. But um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's one of those things where those little things really added so much to the movie because he would continuously do it uh you know when he's exploring the the troll encampment at the behest of the dwarves he's clearly doesn't want to do it um but finds himself crawling towards the campfire and he's muttering about roasted chestnuts (laughs) (laughs) and uh i'm gonna you know what i'm just gonna have to to adopt that practice a little bit more frequently now yeah and and see if that works out for me speaking of the uh the troll scene i i, I was actually uh, that brought back this memory um when i was watching it last night that i remember like when you and i first started hanging out years and years ago in, in high school i think one of the first times we were really hanging out together like you made some sort of hobbit reference and i think it was uh like boilum says i or something like that <laughs> and that's when i was like oh this this kid's cool i like i, I like this guy <laughs> we're gonna get along yes man um i i was astounded by how and I, and I try not to do this when i'm watching movies especially if it's with my kid but like almost every line of dialogue from that movie uh if they were things that became part of my regular speech like they, i just automatically like i was <laughs> going along with the film <laughs> and that troll scene especially i mean because it's just so it, it's 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 sinister mm-hmm. um but it makes for a really good scene too because i mean like you know that they're gonna get out you know they're gonna right, get away right um but you know when uh the one troll says there's plenty for all i like mine raw <laughs> it's like it just gives you such a uh the uh-oh feeling yeah you know yeah, it's like definitely. oh oh no <laughs> That means he's going to, I don't know if that just means that he's going to like dash their heads in and then eat them raw or if he's going to eat them alive. Yeah. I mean, Either way. There's not, a little mystery pleasant, there. Yeah. 
not cool. Um, but then, you know, Gandalf shows up as he does and, uh, and saves the day there, which again, I, I found it tremendously, tremendously funny that, uh, his self-satisfaction was not lost on my kid. Um, <laughs> Which, you know, again, is a testament to, to John Huston's voice acting in, uh, in that movie. Um, so I, sometimes I do lose my train of thought just a little bit when I'm thinking about the caves, whether it be um, in the Misty Mountains or uh, the Troll Cavern. Mm-hmm. So they leave the Troll Cavern and they are, I think... Is Rivendell the next stop? Yeah, yeah. Rivendell comes after that. So that was weird. Um, Rivendell had a very unique feel in this movie. Yeah, we didn't really get to um, see much of it. I mean, you see the valley and you see you know Elrond's place, but like it's not. You don't really spend much time there, so you don't really see it in depth. That's true, um, and I, I guess I must have been thinking more about their portrayal of uh, the Hall of Elrond mm-hmm. and like his actual appearance. Because it's it is different. Yeah, I mean the elves in general are very different, but like Elrond at least looks somewhat like a you know the, the traditional elven appearance, but like the the wood elves later on are just like right. completely in a different direction. Yeah, as opposed to as opposed to the German wood elves. <laughs> um, yeah, so there there's an interesting thing about that design for Elrond um, because I know that people. Again, uh, we're not thrilled with how they chose to um, how they chose to portray certain characters and their appearance in the animation. But um, one of the things about Elrond is that he's half Elven, mm-hmm. so it. I don't think that it would be too much of a stretch to suggest that he could have facial hair. Right. Um, I'm kind of reaching here because I, I I don't recall specifically Tolkien's rules. Uh, for being half elven or, or even uh, having elf blood. So I'm not sure if there's a hard and fast rule for them not right. having facial hair. But I know in a lot of other fantasy, that's something that's done to kind of uh, help characters if they choose to do so assimilate mm-hmm. into to human culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might might explain why they went for that look for him. Or it might just be that they're like, yeah, let's let's make him look like this because that's what they want yeah. to do. Yeah, I mean it, the whole like goatee thing or the like the long beard does kind of lend that sort of that wizened, right? Uh, like he's, demeanor or look. Yeah, like he's supposed to be this you know wise elven lord. So let's make him look like a wise elven lord, even though you know I guess like a lot of that stuff hadn't been. I feel like a lot of the stuff you know as far as like what elves are supposed to look like is a lot mm-hmm. more canon at this point, or you know there's like some yeah. existing candidate for that like maybe at this point they were just like yeah we'll just like play fast and loose with it there's no hard rules yeah. for this that's true um i did like his sort of halo um yeah the stars yeah that was really cool i mean because you know um i mean it's an animation number one but the way that tolkien described elves and the sort of luminosity that uh lumin- did i say luminosity did i what the fuck? I, I don't know if I've ever said that aloud. I don't even know if that's a word. Um, whatever. Uh, the way that they uh, exude the sort of natural uh, illumination there. Is that, does that work? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, 
you know, uh, the way that Peter Jackson interpreted that was pretty spiffy. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you said, no hard and fast way to do that. And, uh, and I think they made a really cool aesthetic choice. Yeah. Um, by having by sort of crowning him and uh, and starlight that that whole situation uh with elron as you said didn't last very long um which you know is fine because it, it continues to move us through the story um now the cool thing and i have to mention this because i just don't think that we could talk about the hobbit and not um when Elrond gives them the names of their blades that they found mm-hmm. in uh, in the orc cavern. Uh, Orcrist the goblin cleaver and Glamdring the foe hammer. Fuck, those are such cool names. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah, definitely foe hammer. That is just <laughs> so cool. Orcrist the goblin cleaver is just like that. That's that's so good. Yeah, I know, man. They're they're perfect. Um, I I want to ask though, so. When they find them, Gandalf says that he's not familiar with those letters. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, my my recollection of the book is extremely hazy. Are there any details on that that I'm missing? I would, because it seems like he would get it. That's I was thinking the the exact same thing, um, and I don't recall honestly if that was like if that's just something that was added into this film and like they didn't even. Mm-hmm it didn't come up in the book or what, but like, yeah, I would think that he would know how to interpret those. Yeah. That part doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but again, um, I kind of, you know, in my head canon, I was like, well, Gandalf also kind of likes to spur people along, Mm -hmm. um, and will often feign ignorance or just outright fucking lie to people. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in this one, like his, yeah, he's, um, He's definitely a little bit more cantankerous, maybe is the word. Yeah. Well, I mean, he the way that The Hobbit moved forward or progressed as a narrative anyway, mm-hmm. um, Gandalf would just, like, plop down major quest items. You know, it'd just be like, oh, by the way, here's this. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, much to the point that, you know, Thorin and, uh, you know, in both adaptations uh, and, and as a character is just like, dude, <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> How long have you had this? Yeah. And when were you planning on giving it to me? And of course, Gandalf's like, well, when I deemed the time to be so or. <laughs> Whatever. Basically, whenever I fucking felt like it um, seems to be the case. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Which he... <laughs> oh, God damn. I love Gandalf. <laughs> um, we're, we're getting perilously close to uh, the the capturing of uh, of the dwarves by the, the aforementioned German elves. But um, before that, we were, were, were back in Mirkwood. We got to go through Mirkwood. Um, which I think probably when I think about this movie, um, that's one of the first things that comes into my head mm-hmm. um, is after they get out of the Misty Mountains and they have to go through Mirkwood, um, there are the spiders. Yeah. This part was pretty... Uh, it, it. I'm trying to think of the right... It, I don't want to say influential. It made an impression on me mm-hmm. um, because... During this whole sequence, we get some of the best showcasing of 
the sound effects used. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> like so many of the sound effects in this are are great, but yeah, definitely this is one area where that really sticks out like when the spiders are are slain by Bilbo and that weird like wow sound that it makes like it's yeah. just like I love that so much. And there was um there was a version so like basically when this came out on DVD uh mm-hmm. several years back I think a lot of those sounds were cut or like they were missing. Sadly, yes, yeah. they were. Um, the one that I watched last night, uh, and just it's just it's a testament to how much I love everything about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so like giddy with anticipation for this whole scene, <laughs> and when I didn't get those sound effects, man, I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I well, was, was extremely put off. Do you do you still have that version that I gave you years back? Um, um, the hi-fi. Oh, Hobbit. the uh, the disc. Yeah, I do. I think it's actually still with uh, still with the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Because that one, um, for anybody who's listening, who is you know as weird as we are about the sounds for this film, um, uh, there. So it's like the someone took the the DVD version, or I guess the the master of it, and then also took. I guess they had a, a higher a high quality copy of like the VHS version mm-hmm. and like basically merged the two to melted th- the two together to have the you know the original those like wacky sound effects in there as well which uh to me is like Damn, i wish i would have remembered that yeah so that's actually the one that i watched last night because i i did find that Aww. again um and so yeah I, I i'm i love those little little sound flourishes so much I'm very pleased that you were not robbed of that joy. <laughs> I totally forgot that I had that. Like it's it is still in the case, like the my old ass CD case that I'll now have to go dig out yeah. and put. Now I will tell you that the disc, um, the 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 soundtrack that I have that you gave me, um, that that got a lot of play. Like it it I can't even play that disc anymore because it <laughs> turned out. That my daughter really enjoyed listening to it. Oh, nice! Um, so we listened to it quite a bit. <laughs> um, so yeah, we wore that fucker out. Nice, as it should. Be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she was significantly younger at the time. Mm. This was you know, three, four years ago at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was—I can't remember what I was doing. Um, looking for something, and I just saw that, and I was like, "All right, we're listening to this now." And, uh, <laughs> this is our this is our really plan now. It. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things about that, though, um, about that soundtrack that you gave me, which I wasn't able to I wasn't able to find like looking at the vinyl, um, like uh, the track listing on the on the vinyl soundtrack Mm -hmm. um, was like the track order, because I think that they were actually out of order. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing about the one that you gave me was it started with uh, it started with John Houston uh, reciting the uh, the Dwarvish poem mm-hmm. from um, from the beginning of the movie, and and that's one of the things that, or one of the reasons I, I did sort of want to move through this sequentially because that really that the the recital of that poem really sets the tone um, for this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, basically, it's recounting what happened to, and I feel like a, an idiot saying this because I'm like, is there anybody listening to this that doesn't know this? <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> it's like you know how Smog uh, basically uh, slew everyone um, 
on the Lonely Mountain and uh, the the people of the Dale. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, come on, y'all, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that poem recounts that and how the king under the mountain was defeated or, or driven from his home. So yeah, um, God, so good, so good. Get lost in it sometimes. <laughs> but but yeah, that whole thing, the poem and, and John Houston's voice really really establishes kind of like the feel of uh of what that uh, that animation is going to be yeah okay so speaking of the sound Mm -hmm. in this flick um i'm far from an audiophile but i I do want to mention this before the conversation goes any further um do the reverb in smog's lair uh, oh yeah the conversation between Bilbo and Smog, like everything about the sound mm-hmm. in that entire segment is just so on point. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause like, it's, I don't know if I ever um, explicitly thought or like, you know, said like, Oh, like the reverb in this is really good. But like, it does like thinking back on it, like it definitely does create this atmosphere. Like it's, yeah. it's just like so effective. And I think that's like a, maybe a testament to how good it is, is that like, I didn't really think about the fact that it was there. I just, I just know that it's, it just like sets the the tone or like not the tone, but like just sets the overall like feeling of that scene. And like, uh, yeah, there's a lot about this movie that, that just establishes itself as being uh, very unique and, and owning itself. And I'm going to be honest with you, like right now I'm, Maybe I just live in a hole, but um, I so <laughs> wanted to finish that paragraph. <laughs> I was I was about to, but <laughs> um, but uh, I I just I find it hard to believe that that this movie doesn't have a more obvious fan base mm-hmm. that raves about it constantly because it's just it's so perfect. It's so perfect in every way. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the the fan base for it or i guess the where it lives now it's like i mean it's almost like a i don't know if, it, if you'd call it like an ironic liking or something like that but it is like people kind of like to poke fun at it which i mean it's i guess it has its things that uh, like i kind of laugh about but mm-hmm. yeah it is kind of interesting that it's not like uh maybe as widely loved as some other things yeah well i tell you what people are really missing out um yeah. and and it's it is true. There are things, especially in, uh, I mean, you could say that the sound effects are pretty fucking cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that, that's because what I comparatively, love about it, they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they belong to this film, right? And well, that's that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I said that, like, I feel like this film was a product of its time. Like, it could only have been made when it was made. Mm-hmm. You know, it you definitely feel the the time period in which it was made but I look at that as like a positive thing. Like it, it gives it this certain character and charm. Absolutely. I, I could not agree with that more. We were, we had actually brought ourselves to Smog's Lair. So um, I kind of want to talk about that mm-hmm. for just one more moment and, and just kind of, uh, you know, finish the movie and, and, you know, give our closing thoughts and everything. Um, but when I was a kid and I was watching the scene with Smog, I think that that was, I think that was my first perception of um, arrogance and condescension. Like, I think, <laughs> I think it was the first time I became aware of that <laughs> as a like a quality that someone could possess. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> because that's a, that's a good embodiment of that for sure. 
Yeah, dude, Smog, like, he gave zero fucks. <laughs> you don't um, know about that. <laughs> I know, that was one of my fa- that was one of my favorite bits, because he's just like... I, I mean, I love it because uh, he's like, in his mind, I can imagine that he's like, well, I'm going to kill this guy. <laughs> like, there's no two ways about that. He's not leaving this place alive. Um, but he kiss he just keeps saying this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's, uh, he's engaging me because it's like, he, I don't know. He's not cowering in fear. You know, he's, he's talking, um, like he actually wants to have a conversation. So it's possible that he, I I could imagine that smog would have gotten lonely. Um, yeah, you can't really, uh, you know, have many fun times hanging out with a pile of gold and nothing else. No. No, um, which uh, I think is, you know, Tolkien always said that he was not a fan of allegory, mm-hmm. but goddamn, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's so much in his work that uh, is like a clear allegory. Yeah. I mean, Thorin even says kindly child or child of the kindly West, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if, if more of us valued food and cheer over hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Um Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, that's not allegory. Yeah, that's, that's just that's putting it plainly. Pretty much just like hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, that was one of the first times I ever experienced that. And, and again, the, the voice acting and the way that that arrogance is conveyed by Smaug, mm-hmm. which and the line that you repeated, <laughs> you don't know about that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that scene is just great. Um, again, the whole fucking movie is great, but I do, I do want to say, um, cause we had mentioned that there were things to be laughed at. Uh, there was, there were a couple of times that I did laugh out loud and almost without control. Um, the first was, uh, when Gandalf was just being Gandalf because it's just fucking his smarm is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second was, and I think this was the silly thing, and I think it was intentionally silly now that I think about it, but during the Battle of Five Armies, well, I guess it hadn't become five yet, um, when the goblins and wargs come, and then Bard and uh, and Thranduil and Thorin are standing there, and he's like, oh, great elf king, my greatest <laughs> friend and ally. <laughs> my people are like brothers to yours. Yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden. Really? Yeah. It's like you were, you were, it didn't you guys seem were just, that like, way. just about to kill each other like five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. So again, I don't know if that was intentionally funny because it is kind of like a, a moment where you realize how stupid everybody becomes <laughs> right. when they have these blinders on or when they become, become greedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, let me ask you, um, in this scenario, uh, it was... The result of the dwarves' actions, well, really, it was the result of Bilbo's actions that stirred the dragon mm-hmm. and uh, caused him to attack Lake Town. So, Bard slew Smaug with his black arrow, which uh, was just awesome. That whole scene oh, yeah. was just awesome, yeah. like totally epic with his porn stash and everything. <laughs> so, who who gets claim? Like, who has a stake uh, in the treasure um, of the Lonely Mountain. Like, what? who who does it belong to? I mean, I think 
yeah, that's a good question. Like, I definitely don't think Bard was wrong in saying, like, hey, we need our cut. Because, you know, first, the dragon, like, or Smog, like, actually attacked the lake town and, like, you know, demolished things. So, like, yeah, you, I think they're, uh, they're owed something. Uh, and he's the one who actually killed him. So I feel like mm-hmm. that's, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if that would say, or uh, that would entitle him to, like, the full share since, you know, the dwarves did, like, or dwarves and Bilbo fleshed him out, as it were. But Yeah, I'm just curious, yeah. um, because it seemed like everybody was being an asshole, uh, Every, but mostly Thorin. Thorin, I mean, Thorin was definitely an asshole, like, just in general throughout the film, um, more so than I remember him being in the book. Like, they made him a little bit more, uh, like, crotchety in this one. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, the character of Thorin Oakenshield was very proud. Yeah. Um, to a fault. But, yeah, he wasn't quite like he is in, um, in in the animation. And, you know, even Peter Jackson's Hobbit, I think Thorin was a little too um, crotchety. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know why they went that direction with him. Because, I, I, yeah, it's, I feel like there was more to him in the book. Uh, as a character yeah, or at least he was more nuanced yeah exactly but then going back to the um the, you know the claim to the treasure and all that didn't the elves claim something too like that that's why they were there <laughs> yeah like, wait, yeah wait, pain wait. and suffering basically yeah, like, come on guys like like they were definitely in the wrong um like i feel like both the dwarves and and bard like had good points i mean thorin mm-hmm. was being a dick about it but you know, it's, uh, yeah, the elves, it's like, where did you guys come from? Yeah, not to mention that it just seems very un-elf-like. Right. In, in my opinion. Now, the wood elves were a little bit different than um, the elves mm-hmm. uh, of, uh, of the from Lorien. Um, but uh, I don't think that they were necessarily that different. Right. Um, but Thranduil was always kind of a dick, so mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um but yeah, so I mean, that's that's the battle of five armies, and and we know how that turns out. Um, I, I think that the way that this film ended, I think especially with the way that Bilbo is just like fuck this and just <laughs> takes his armor off, <laughs> puts on the ring, and gets out of dodge. Yeah, um, I think that was perfect. Yeah, agreed. Um, so one thing about the end of this movie is that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one one thing about this is that it tends to give the impression or it does give the impression that Gandalf knows exactly what Bilbo has. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Like he just kind of alludes to uh I can't remember what the actual line is, but yeah, it's definitely a uh yeah, there's more to come. It's like yeah, well, something about your your relatives will come to understand yeah, the importance of yeah. of your souvenir. Um, like if that, and, if, and the story isn't ending but beginning. It's like if that's the case, why don't you just go ahead and destroy this thing? Yeah, uh, which wasn't—I mean, that wasn't in in, in the book. The Hobbit right, this was right. done for the animation. To be clear, um, because it—I don't think they knew exactly what was going on um, with the production of subsequent films, uh, which is really a shame because it, it gives us this really awkward scenario where you have. The Rankin-Bass Hobbit, uh, Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, and then the Rankin-Bass Return of the King, which, let me just go ahead and say, <laughs> is, 
is not like the Hobbit. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It is not near and dear to me. Yep. Um, and I watched it as a child, and even then, I was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, Mm-mm. that's that's one that like definitely doesn't even have the the nostalgia factor for me because I didn't even see that until I was an adult." And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like I was glad to have seen it to kind of like, I guess, complete things or be like, at least I've seen it. But, yeah, not something I ever go back to. Right. And and they kept it sing-songy. I think Glenn Yarbrough did um, music and songs for that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it definitely did not hit the mark because Return of the King, especially given the gravity of what's taking place Mm -hmm. uh, with Sam and Frodo, uh, in Mordor, um, that's not the time for for sing song. Uh, <laughs> no, where there's a whip, <laughs> there's a way. Like, no, no, dude. <laughs> no, no. This is a not this is a, like a horror movie situation. Like you're you're in hell right now. Like no, we don't need a little song for it. <laughs> but hey, they did incorporate uh, Samwise and his temptation by the ring though, which was pretty. Yeah, cool. yeah, that was cool. Um, that was sorely lacking from um, from the films. But going back to the end of The Hobbit, uh, that is very, it is very different, but there it does kind of connect to something that we didn't mention earlier. Uh, when Bilbo escapes uh, from Gollum and he reconnects with the dwarves, he's recounting his story mm-hmm. to the dwarves. And Gandalf is just sitting there or standing there with his hand on his beard like uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then he's like how does he say it's like yes your story rings true bilbo it has the ring of truth and, and he looks like he's about to say something <laughs> yeah and he's like say no more <laughs> so he he knew what was up oh yeah but, um, yeah um, yes, but saying, I mean, saying ring twice and winking it's like a, it's a little <laughs> on the nose <laughs> I feel foolish almost now because there have been so many times over the course of this conversation that I've just stopped talking and, and just said, Oh my God, I love this movie. (laughs) No, it's, it's really good. Like it just, it, it, I think it really holds up well. Um, It's a really great adaptation of the story. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, like we said, it's, it stands on its own as its own thing. Like it's always going to have a place in my heart just because of, you know, when I came to it in life and everything, but I, I still feel like it's something that, you know, someone who, uh, you know, doesn't have the nostalgia factor could still enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think, I think more people, uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. Um, it might not be worth going out and buying if you could even find it on a shelf somewhere. Um, but it is definitely worth seeing. And, and to Jeff's point, if you do rent it from something like YouTube or Amazon, it's not going to be chock full of amazing sound effects. <laughs> it has most of them. Most of them are present. Mm-hmm. Um, but like whenever Bilbo uses Sting to slay the spiders or when uh, Gandalf slays the great goblin with uh, Glamdring, there's no yeah. sound effect. Yeah, And it just, I feel like if you come to this new, like you, you probably won't notice it. I, I feel like it even though uh with that like if if you're not looking for the sound effects i still feel like it could feel a little awkward because it's just like silence like there's like yeah this this thing happens and then it's just like silent for a second while the you know spider like spins out uh or spins off the screen or whatever mm-hmm. i am pro sound 
myself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the defining aspects yeah, of this film. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a great adaptation of The Hobbit. Um, there are several instances that were in the book that are not in the film. Um, but as we mentioned, it, it doesn't take away from the story. and You're not missing anything. Um, one of the things that's weird is that um, Bolg is actually, he has a credit in... Um, and I think it was uh, Thoreau that did the voice of Bolg. He was credited as the voice of Bolg, mm-hmm. but he, to my recollection, is not in this at all. Um, so it makes me wonder if uh, if that was something they were going to explore or if it got cut out. Yeah, interesting. Um, so that's the only like missing piece that I'm remotely aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like the stuff with Bayorn, uh, not there. Um and the Arkenstone subplot is not there at all. Um, so I, in the beginning of this conversation, I made a big deal about how much I love Tolkien and how much I know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, clearly, I don't, because the question I'm about to ask you is is uh, is probably a pretty noob question. Um, <laughs> but I want to see what you think about it. Okay. Okay. So, was the Arkenstone ever confirmed not to be? A Silmaril. I actually don't know that. Um, and the only reason I ask is because there's there's something that I always thought could make sense because um, I think uh, was it Magor? No, Maglor is the one who threw his into the ocean, and Madros threw himself into the earth, mm-hmm. um, like into lava, basically. Um, but I don't remember exactly where that was. And I guess it, there, there's a lot of jiggery-pockery that would need to take place mm-hmm. um, for it to end up in the hands of the dwarves, but I don't think it's impossible, and I just don't know if it was ever ruled out. Yeah, I don't know, because like, it's been a while since I've looked into or you know read some of the kind of the deeper lore like that. Um, so I actually don't remember if that was ever confirmed or if it was just like a... Well, shit. Yeah. Well, if there's someone listening to this right now and you just cannot get over the fact that I asked that question and you know the <laughs> there's, answer. There's somebody out there screaming right now. <laughs> you don't know shit, jackass. <laughs> hey. Yeah, all, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the wife and I had actually, uh, for a year now, um, and we need to get on this because... The uh, all of the money, by the way, that I've collected from the patrons on my Patreon page mm-hmm. has has amassed and grown, and I'm about to start expanding uh, my setup. So nice. I am going to have another person on the show, and it's probably going to end up being a sister show. And it's a project that uh, that Maggie and I are, are going to be well, well we're, we are working on it mm-hmm. and it's a a deep dive into the lord of the rings starting oh, nice. with the fellowship so basically the goal of this is to have fun talking about it as we read the books but also to make ourselves uh basically lord of the rings experts because we already know a shitload about it mm-hmm. um but it's one of those things where you know if you uh if you want to like really master something they say teach it so um, it'll kind of be something along those lines. And, uh, and hopefully the, the other goal for the show is to, uh, give people a good jumping off point for Lord of the Rings, because I know so many people that want to read it, like they genuinely do, Mm -hmm. but they feel like the films will suffice. 
because they don't want to engage the books, um, which I totally get. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I get, but you're really missing out. Yeah, um, I, I and I do get it because it's a time investment yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there are a lot of issues I think that are limiting people from deciding to to read the book. Mm-hmm. So kind of like I did with X Men, um, I just jumped in. You know, I was like because I, I never wanted to pick up uh, Uncanny number one from sixty three or or just X Men number one um, because I was like you know if if i do this like there's just no way that i'm ever going to be able to catch up and x-men is so fucking convoluted and you know the 40 years that it's been around i just shouldn't bother but i was like you know what fuck it so i just started at issue 1 from 1963 and i think i'm in 1982 now um and it's been awesome yeah so it's never too late to jump into something and uh and i've listened to podcasts that kind of um just discuss issue by issue kind of what's going on and, and how that correlates to other things. So my goal is to make uh, the trilogy more accessible. And then um, like the, uh, the coup de gras as it were, is going to be a, uh, a <laughs> what will probably be a brutal production in covering the Silmarillion. Oh man. Yeah. That, <laughs> that will be fun. Um, no, that's a, that's a really cool idea though. I, I like that a lot. Like I will definitely want to check that out. And it's probably been done. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only looked for a few Lord of the Rings shows to kind of see what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if exactly what I'm doing is out there, I'm sure it is. Um, but, uh, you get to listen to me do it. And I was going to say, if, if there's something <laughs> out there, it's not, it, it, if something out there already, it hasn't been done by you. So, you know, yours is going to be exactly. different in that regard. Exactly. Um, so uh, everything that comes with that, hey Um <laughs> But I do plan on having guests too, obviously, that uh, that are into Tolkien and Very cool. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, definitely watch The Hobbit if you haven't. And, uh, and you know, if you don't like it, you know what? I'm not going to hold it against you. Right. But I think you will. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's there's something in there for everybody. Like, it's enjoyable. And if you don't like it, like you said, it's... <laughs> You know, no big deal. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> if, if you don't like it, it's what, like 70, 72 minutes, 77 minutes, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's not, not long that long. So you can deal. Yeah. Um. So, oh, you know what? Actually, it's you said 77 uh, or 72 somewhere in there. I totally forgot that Um. At, at, I meant to say at the start of the show, kind of taking things back to Star Wars because I always have to. Um, this was actually nominated for a Hugo and lost to star wars oh man so (laughs) like i'm not mad about that right but at the same time um like i'm actually pretty thrilled that two of my favorite things were uh were in a brief competition with one yeah they they crossed paths in some way yeah so i thought that was really cool yeah Um, nice little touch but uh but yeah man i i am so glad that we were finally able to do this because uh we've only been talking about it for what like two years or a year <laughs> yeah it's it's been a while um i think like since when we did empire we, we started yeah talking about that and that's yeah that's close to a year now so yeah i went back and listened to that one recently because it started getting uh it started getting noticed again mm-hmm. and um and some people had actually I, I saw somebody had shared it on their instagram page and i was like oh, oh 
Oh, nice. Shit. nice. Yeah, I, I had a blast doing that one. That was, a, that was a really fun time. Well, there will be more, sir, because we have two seasons now of The Mandalorian to talk oh, about. Oh, dude, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm all about that. Yes. I know, man. I didn't think I was going to jump onto it so fast. Oh, I got, but I was I got like, so me, into dude. it, yeah. Although it's, it's amazing. It, it did make me realize because I didn't actually keep up with a lot. Like I'm going back and watching all of the Clone Wars uh, stuff now because oh. like there's a lot of stuff that I I knew just from like reading about it before, but like mm-hmm. things in the Mandalorian, like in the second season, where I'm like, oh, I, I definitely need to go back and and oh yeah, you know, watch totally. all these things that I missed out on when they first came out. One thing that I would strongly recommend because I didn't get this. Um, until someone said, oh, this is what this is. Um, because I don't... I, look, I can't buy all the new systems when they come out. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't play Star Wars Battlefront. And uh, the storyline from Star Wars Battlefront ties into the second season of The Mandalorian. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, in a very cool way. Yeah. So um, if you... And it's totally worth it mm-hmm. to look up the cutscenes from Battlefront 2. Um, there's some really cool stuff in there oh, and cool. learn kind of what happened and, and what Mayfeld was talking about when he was talking to, uh, I forget the Imperial officer's name, but he was fucking Richard Brake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how cool is that? Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that what they were discussing and Mayfeld's attitude about it, um, you see that pretty heavily in, in the battlefront two trailer uh, okay. or not trailer, but the, the story. Yeah. Mode. Interesting. Yeah, I'll check that out. Gosh, so much to talk about. So little time. Jeff, um, thank you so much for, for doing this with me tonight. I always feel like such a tool when I when I hand out like the obligatory thank yous, but <laughs> every time I say it, I really genuinely mean it. Thank you so much oh, yeah. for, I mean, for being here. Dude, no need to even thank me. It's my pleasure. Like I will I will gladly jump on a call and you know talk with my friends about nerdy shit anytime so (laughs) (laughs) yeah man you don't have to you know convince me for that awesome i will certainly keep that in mind well dude i hope that you have a great night and uh we'll have you back on again soon for sure yep yeah sounds good take care buddy you too thanks man y'all i think this was a a banging start to 2021 uh banging if you know, possibly somewhat manic, uh, but banging nonetheless. And I'm so happy that we could start with a film uh, for which my love is undying. Thanks again to Jeff for his time, and I fervently hope we can do it again soon. Y'all don't forget to like and subscribe and all that business. Uh, you know, give me a review on uh, on Apple Podcasts. Five star, rate that sucker, and uh, and leave a review. Tell tell folks at home what you thought of the show. It definitely helps me out. It puts me out there just a little further. Uh, and hey, I, I wouldn't mind a few extra listeners. So you can find me again on Twitter at tsg underscore pod, or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Sleeping Giant Podcast, or on Instagram at the Sleeping Giant Podcast. I'd say I'm probably most active on Instagram. So if you want to get in touch with me, that is the best way. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, hey, 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 listen. I do have one of those Patreon pages as well. If you like the show and you want to you want to see it thrive and maybe do a little better, get that quality just a little higher, go ahead and look for me at uh, patreon.com forward slash the sleeping giant podcast uh anything you want to throw up there fantastic i would appreciate it and my gratitude would be 
eternal. Uh, you know, alternatively, if you don't want to spend any money, throw me that rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'd love you just the same. Promise. Oh, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Until next time, y'all. <laughs>